0: Lord, thank you for your message that you speak into this world. And that it's a message for all people. It's a message for young and old and it is a message of the greatest joy for it is a message of salvation. So may we hear something of that this morning and may we hear especially you speaking to us as the great God that you are to us who desperately need to hear your word. Amen. Uh, my name is Graham, one of the pastors here, if we haven't yet met, uh, and it's a great joy to uh, take on this book of Jonah, uh, well known. Uh, fair warning, the fish comes next week, but it is part uh, of the first section and serves as a transition, so anyway, I'm not dealing with the fish, but you know it's coming. Dun, 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 ah, sorry. The easiest and the hardest word to say is no. Only got two letters, only takes a second to say it. No, meaning no. That's from the uh, rap group Public Enemy. But context is everything, isn't it? For whether it's easy or hard to say no, for whether it's wise or foolish to say no. It matters what the stakes are. It matters who or what you're saying no to, doesn't it? Easy to say no would be if you offered me roll mops to eat. Those pickled fish things. That's going to get no from me. Hard, you can ask me about that later, hard, although morally crystal clear, would be people like Sophie and Hans Scholl who distributed anti-government material in Nazi Germany or Andrei Sakharov who helped develop the nuclear bomb in Cold War Russia but then spoke out against its use. Or woman of colour, Rosa Parks, who famously declined to give up her seat on a bus in America when ordered to by a white man. But what about saying no to God? Is that easy or hard? I reckon that's a good question for us. Is it easy or hard for us to say no? God do you find it easy to say no there's, there's a follow-up question to this one actually uh, is it wise or foolish to do so and I think we probably know the answer to that one but as we start on this series in the Bible book of Jonah at least what we see is that an individual response of no has consequences that are not confined just to that individual. One thing is certain though, it only takes a second to say it. Let's have a look. Uh, Jonah says nope to God. First point. Jonah 1 verses 1 to 3, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says go. Jonah says no. Jonah ran away from the Lord. Jonah fled from the Lord. That's quite staggering when you think about it. Jonah's a prophet. He's been called By the Lord, specifically to speak his word. Therefore, he knows the Lord. He knows, therefore, that he cannot get away or run from the Lord. And so what that means is that his response is nothing but blatant willful disobedience. It's a nope. And why this nope? Nope. Why this opposite disobedience, this reaction? Because of Nineveh. Nineveh is the bad place with the bad reputation. These people don't deserve God's word. There's a a kind of ethnocentrism. That's a big word, but it means putting one group of people at the center above all others. Where we as that group at the centre, are the most important. We are the blessed. Enemies, look out. And if one word describes Nineveh, surely it's evil. And they deserve nothing but judgment. If you want to know how evil Nineveh was, uh, the book of Nahum gives some insight into Nineveh's particular brand of wickedness. You can look at that later. It be great context for our series. But what of Israel? What of Israel, the the people group that Jonah has effectively put at the centre, his people group, were they lovable, innocent and pure as the driven snow? Well, that actually couldn't be further from the truth. The 19 kings of Israel, known as the Northern Kingdom, distinct from Judah, the Southern Kingdom, Without exception, those 19 kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The evil ruled and the people suffered. And yet even within those harsh circumstances, God's word through his prophet came to them. It spoke, in one case, of a massive restoration of the nation and its borders, which happened in the reign of one of those kings, Jeroboam II. But the prophet that spoke of these things, guess who that was? Jonah, son of Amittai, recorded in 2 Kings 14. Crucial here, though, is understanding what the reason for this blessing from God was. Verse 26, the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. What was the reason for God's help? What was the reason for that restoration and that blessing? What was the reason? It was Lord's compassion. It wasn't his commendation. You can read another prophet, Amos, to get a feel for how relatively good Israel were doing in their non-evil. Hint, Amos has to say to them, seek good, not Evil that you may live, they weren't doing great at all. As Ralph Davis puts it, prosperity may be a sign of the Lord's compassions, but not of his commendations. And it seems that God's people had got confused, there was a complacency that assumed that presumed God would only bless them and should not have compassion. On others, and certainly not filthy Nineveh. And that's what Jonah, it seemed, believed. That was behind his nope. And I wonder if you can already see where this might lead for us, where it was taking God's people in Jonah's time, in fact. See, at one level, Jonah embodies Israel, and his attitude reflects the nation of Israel's attitude towards are the nations. There's a total disconnect here between the heart of God and the heart of people who claim to worship him toward Nineveh. I mean, Jonah even says that. Did you, did you note that in chapter 1? I worship the Lord. Do you? And the fact is, they're not worshipping him. But he's still on our side. We've got him just think of how often this ethnocentrism type of thing has brought anything good in this world. Has that ever happened in this world? On the other hand, what has it produced? The worst evil humanity has ever known. It lies behind fascism, radical nationalism, eugenics, Systemic racism and taken to its logical extreme, extermination. It's as ugly as it is evil. It's effectively, though, what Jonah wants for Nineveh. And we'll think about that in a few weeks' time. But Jonah can't stomach it, so he runs away and, make no mistake, he knows exactly what he's doing after the panicking sailors In the boat that he uh, gets a fare for, cast lots because of this massive storm that has arisen. Only after it falls on Jonah does he fess up. Did you notice that? Wakes him up from his sleep. He's so at peace with himself. He's deeply asleep. And the terrified sailors on the ship asked him, what have you done? Verse 10, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. As if to say from the sailors, that is who you worship and this is what you're doing. And there's an ugly belligerence on display, don't you think? From Jonah. It's ugly. Jonah even waits for the lots to be cast. And when they're cast and he's asked, he knows what needs to happen. And then he expects the sailors to throw him overboard. Puts them in an awkward spot, doesn't it? And in contrast, the sailors demonstrate enough humanity to acknowledge the horrific dilemma. They didn't want to throw a possibly innocent man overboard. They could even find it in themselves to think the best of this guy. Jonah said no to God. And God has given a message. A message to be preached. A message of good news, a message of warning. A message of love from God to those who don't deserve it. A message that everyone needs to hear. What would be our reason then? For not wanting to share it. Do we have one? With a far greater message than Jonah had. What would be our defence for taking self-righteous postures in relation to our society and routinely casting judgement on those outside the church? What would be our reason for maintaining, or worse, cultivating an us and them mentality towards our wider Kingborough community. See, the question for us is something like this. Where is the love of God in us? And where is the love of God through us to others? If it depended on Jonah... How much hope would there be for Nineveh? Jonah said no. They'd have no hope at all. But hey, it didn't depend on Jonah. And so our second point is this. God says nope to Jonah. Effectively, the Lord, verse 4, sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 12, Jonah says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, And it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, Jonah's personal disobedience has tremendous consequences for others. Without God's intervention, it's catastrophic for the city of Nineveh. But most surprisingly, you see that God uses the occasion of Jonah's disobedience to apparently, it seems, sort of incidentally, save a bunch of pagan sailors. It's vintage God, isn't it? And probably salt in the wound for Jonah when he reflected on it. And it highlights our big idea today, and it's this, that God makes his saving purposes happen even in spite of his people's disobedience. And that is good news for everyone. See, God knows what he's doing. And when he says nope, it's still yes to his purposes, isn't it? Which is very, very good news. It was for these sailors, verse 13, the men... Uh, these sailors did their best to row back to land but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before then they cried out to the lord please lord do not let us die for taking this man's life do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you lord have done as you pleased they recognized that god was doing what he pleased and they worshipped him when they were safe. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? And the point here is not that we just uh, assume that God will work in spite of us. It's to recognise that God will bring his purposes to pass always. Even the most intentional and wide-eyed disobedience of God's appointed prophet here, Jonah, only became the means... For salvation for these pagans and God will bring his purposes to pass in such a way that he continues to be glorious even if the Jonah's just look angry and sulky and so in a sense Jonah saying no nope, was good news for the sailors it was also good news for Jonah because he needs some work done on him But it's good news only because God is good. Good enough to save these sailors. Good enough to want to work on Jonah and to begin to convict him of his own self-righteousness and pride and complacency. And through him to thrust a great big mirror in the face of God's people so that they might see their ugliness really in contrast to God's great glorious beauty. And all of this because of God's heart for the lost. That's the big theme of our series, really. If we miss this, then we miss the message of Jonah. God's heart for the lost is our third point. This first chapter is really a bit of a measure. It's like the straight edge of God's clear desire to save people by his grace. And we see how aligned or rather misaligned Jonah was and Israel also with that straight edge. You see, while Nineveh seemed to be the intended recipients of God's grace in this book, who is this book for? The book wasn't really for them. It was for Israel. It was for God's people to see God's grace to Israel. It's not really be like Jonah. Or sorry, don't be like Jonah, this book. It's be like God. Reflect him. Jonah is in God's word to stir up Israel to consider the character of the Lord whom they profess to serve and to examine the nature of their relationship to him. That's why it's there. It's for his people to reflect. National ethnic Israel as the people of God would be transformed by the gospel of Christ into the multinational faith community of his church. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, he said, and we as his people saved by him, saved by his amazing grace alone, are brought to be citizens of his kingdom. Aliens and strangers in this world, but here for a purpose. It's all about grace. Yes, Nineveh absolutely did not deserve God's love. But then, neither did Israel. And nor do any of us. It's not about deserving. It's about God in his grace and mercy with this undeserved love that he's lavished on all humanity and which he has held out to all in the message of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It's the God who wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. So, Jesus himself said, and it couldn't really be clearer, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. Will that be a yes or a no? Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Will that be a yes or a no? And what is God's heart for here, for Kingborough? Has it changed? Isn't it that none to perish, but all to come to repentance? And what is our heart for King that That's the straight edge of, of God's heart. Are we aligned with that? Or misaligned? Will it be a yes? Or a no? Will God have to work in spite of you and me? Or with you and me? Will God have to deal with an ugly ethnocentrism? That's going to be the word of the week for you guys, isn't it? But a a deeply rooted us and them mentality. It really depends on whether we're yes or no to God's heart for the lost. And we can know for certain that God will make the most of every opportunity for the glory of his name. We see that in this chapter, don't we? Even if we won't make the most of it. But how can we settle for that? How can we possibly settle for that if we've seen our God, if we've received His love and grace, if we see the cross, if we see Jesus on that cross dying for us, not because we're good enough, but only because He is. And his love and grace includes a desire for us to know him as we reflect on God's providence and goodness in our own lives if we are God's people, that we can be here today at the ends of the earth in this place as his people because his word has come to us. How can we settle for that as we look around and see family and friends and neighbours and countless strangers? Who are lost. They know nothing. They know nothing of God's goodness and love to them. Will we say no to God today? Or will we, with joy, with overflowing thankfulness, will we say yes? Let's pray. Just going to spend a, a minute or so just reflecting on God's great goodness to us in Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The demonstration of God's love. As we reflect on what Matt said earlier, words of Christ, uh, words of John about Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Spend a minute reflecting personally and then Julia will.